0: Hey everybody, welcome to Money's No Object. I'm your host, Dylan Howell. This is episode number 377 of our YouTube channel and podcast, and I cannot be more excited to continue sharing with you guys personal finance topics that I think can be useful for you in your long-term financial journey. Today, we are going to be talking about risks to financial markets right now, right? Uh, And I know that we get enough fear-mongering and we get enough things uh, that are just extremely negative in our financial lives. Uh, so even though I'm going to bring some risks to your, um, you know, to your mind right now and bring them to front of mind, bring them to something that you're thinking about. I don't want you to be deterred, uh, and I don't want you to hold back from your financial plan. I just want you to know what's at hand. Uh, and this comes from a really great article I found by Ben Carlson. If you don't don't know who this guy is, um, awealthofcommonsense.com is his website, and it's fantastic blog posts he has. Uh, the Animal Spirits podcast, the Portfolio Rescue podcast on the compound. So check that out. Uh, But today we're going to be talking about the three biggest risks to the financial markets right now. So stick around for a discussion of all that and more in today's episode. Before we get started though, if you could go down below, hit the big red subscribe button, like this video, leave me any comments down below and I'll be sure to respond to anything you leave down there. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave me a review on either one of those platforms. Follow me on social media at MNO with Dylan. And that's really good supplemental materials to all the things I'm putting out in these long form episodes on YouTube and the podcast every single day. And then if you need somebody to help you to build a financial plan and keep you accountable to that plan over the long-term, then I can do that. Just DM me on any of the major social media sites and tell me that you are interested in financial coaching sessions. And you and I can begin working together, pushing towards your long-term financial goals and ultimately pushing you on towards long-term financial freedom, which is what I hope for every single individual who's watching or listening to this show on a day-to-day basis. Now, look, I am an optimist. uh, And especially when it comes to your financial health, my financial health, your ability to uh, reach long-term financial freedom, my own ability to reach long-term financial freedom, uh, I am an optimist. I believe that you can. I believe that we can. But being an optimist does not mean being blind, right? And being an optimist does not mean that we should just disregard anything that is going on around us, right? I think we should be very aware. I think we should be very knowledgeable. That way, if anything around us requires uh, a change, it requires us to do something different. Then ultimately, we can do something different, right? But if you don't know, how can you change? If you don't know, uh, how can you do different? For instance, right, uh, if you were an investor in the 1980s, right, and you didn't know that interest rates dropped precipitously from the 1980s to today, right, and you just continued buying uh, certificates of deposit in the way you did back in the 80s that were making you 9 10%, whatever they were making right and now you're lucky to get you know a couple percent on a, a CD right then you would have missed something that was very important to your investing style to your uh, financial life and it would have cost you right uh, so we need to pay attention to risks we need to pay attention to things that are going on around us so that we can make optimal changes Right, not so we can just flip everything on its head. Not so we can do things that are irrational or that are just churning in our financial lives. Right, I don't want us to make changes just because we get scared. I want us to make changes based on objective fact uh, that may be hurting us. Right, so I do want to talk about risks to uh, financial markets right now, um, and I don't think that these risks are anything new to you guys. I don't think that these risks. Uh, or anything that maybe you haven't heard of before that uh, are gonna really throw you off too much, but uh, I think that they are relevant for us to talk about. Now, the first thing that we need to understand is that black swans don't happen very often. This is something Ben Carlson talks about in this article, uh, The Three Biggest Risks to the Market Right Now, because I agree with these risks, that's why I'm conveying them to you today, right? Um, The next black swan is not going to be seen coming right? That's literally what a black swan is. Black swans, uh, if you don't know, are these things that happen in uh, financial markets or just in life, right? That you didn't see coming. They're extremely rare, right? Like a black swan. There's a reason that it's called that is because it's something that extremely, uh, that's extremely rare that occurs uh, that really throws things uh, into a tailspin, right? But black swans, they were all the rage coming out of 2008, right? When the financial crisis was occurring, Uh, And every year, people now put out their lists of highly improbable events that could have a large impact on markets. And uh, I don't know how many people would have said that uh, the black swan of 2020, 2021 would be COVID-19. I don't know uh, who would have said that. Now, obviously, if you were looking in late 2020, into 2021, then it's not a black swan anymore. But going into 2020, I don't know how many people would have said, "Oh yeah, a pandemic is going to be what throws things, uh, you know, into a tailspin and makes there be a, a lot of uncertainty and a lot of changes in financial markets or just in life in general." But if we try to, uh, you know, put out our list for uh, the black swans that could occur, the likelihood of us getting it right is very, very low right? You're probably not going to predict the next black swan, right? Uh, But what about some white swan risks, right? White swans are what you're used to seeing, right? A swan is white typically, right? Now, what are the risks that are out in the open that could have an impact on markets, but not necessarily prove to be an outlier event? These are the things that you want to be prepared for, right? If you can be prepared for something in front of you, then be prepared for it, right? Uh, If you can do something to prevent something bad happening in your own life, of course you would do it. Right? The biggest risks are often the ones that we don't see coming, but the smaller risks can still cause some short-term discomfort. Right? You could always say war or some other crazy variant or a collapse of civilization as we know it, but we need to focus on market-related risks. We need to focus on things that are directly in front of us, and if we can deal with those, then let's worry about the black swans later. Okay. Now, the first risk I don't think is going to surprise anyone right? And I'm going to actually talk about this later on this week on our Fundamental Friday uh, episode. But the first risk and I agree with Ben Carlson here is inflation, right? Inflation is very real right now, right? The, the cost of goods and services increasing. It is extremely real at this point. The, mom, the bond market still doesn't seem to be too concerned about inflation above 6%. Yes, the 10-year treasury has risen a tad, uh, but it's still hovering around 1.7%, nowhere near the current inflation rate right? And the reason that rates would increase, right, would be uh, in the, you know, in the attempt to tamp inflation, right? Because if it's more costly to borrow, if it's more costly um, to take out debt, then um, the ability to grow is going to be tamped down. And so inflation would also be tamped down. Now, there are a lot of factors at play here, but it's possible the bond market simply doesn't believe that high inflation is here to stay. But what if it is, right? The stock market is a great hedge against higher inflation over the long run, right? It can be a decent hedge over the short run, but persistently high inflation is not great for stock returns, right? Because ultimately, if the investor doesn't have any money to invest because they're having to spend money on all these goods and services that are increasing in cost, then uh, they're likely to get out of the stock market, right? Uh, And ultimately, companies don't love super high inflation because it's going to drive interest rates higher and higher. Make it harder to borrow and make it harder to grow. All right. Uh, so if you look back at calendar year returns for the SP 500 going back to 1928 and compared them to different inflation regimes, this would be what you find. Okay. So from 1928 to 2021, okay. When inflation was below 0%, right, uh, it was below 0%, uh, so deflation, right, 10.6% of years. It's actually a lot more than I anticipated, okay. Um, it was between zero to 3% for 45.7% of years, which is not surprising because uh, the Fed's target at least now for inflation is around 2%. It was three to 6% for 27.7% of years, and it was above 6% for 16% of years, okay? Now, when inflation was below 0%, okay, the average nominal returns on the S&P 500 was 12.1% annually, right? But the average real returns were 15.4% annually. Obviously the real returns would be greater because it was deflationary, right? Uh, So 15.4% real returns when inflation was below zero. When inflation was zero to 3%, nominal returns were uh, 16.5% on average, but the real returns were 14.7% on average. So still really close. Uh, to the real returns of you know inflation being below 0%. Then when inflation was 3 to 6%, right? Average nominal returns 5.5%, so lower nominal returns, right? And average real returns were 1.4%. So average real returns really dropped off the table there as did the nominal returns. Then when inflation was above 6%. Average nominal returns were 9.1%, which doesn't sound that bad, right? If you're making 9.1% annually, Uh, That's going to grow your money a lot over a long period of time, but the average real returns during that time were negative 0.1%, right? So you were losing money after inflation. uh, If you were investing in the S&P 500, when inflation was above 6%, but you put all these things together, you're making an average nominal return in the stock market of around 10%. Uh, The average real return over a long period of time is anywhere between six and 7%, right? But you can see that zero to 3% is the sweet spot. Right. Nominal returns are actually pretty good when inflation is running at six or higher, but those returns are swallowed up by inflation uh, when you look on a real basis. Last year was actually one of the best years on record with inflation running so high. The only time real returns were higher when inflation was 6% or more was 1975. So we had a great 2021 uh, with inflation being as high as it was. Now, stocks could continue to do well with rising prices, but corporations can only pass along higher prices for so long. Eventually, higher than average inflation becomes a headwind to the stock market, right? So what corporations do is you know, when the costs of the inputs are getting higher, they're uh, increasing the cost of their goods and services. That's producing inflation, right? So that's happening. Growth is happening. Everything's good. The consumer's willing to pay. But at some point, they can no longer increase the cost of their goods, right? At some point, they can't overcharge the consumer. The consumer won't buy. Right, which will slow growth even more. Right, so either they're going to increase the cost of their goods too much, and the consumer doesn't buy, which which uh, you know puts a damper on growth. Right, or they take in the cost themselves, which also puts a damper on growth. Right, so high inflation over long periods of time can be detrimental to corporations. Right, and so that is the first risk that I think we should be looking at because if it persists above six percent, our average real returns in the market are not. Going to be that high, and then just you know, on a you know just regular day by day basis, you know, buying things that cost more is not nice, right? We don't like buying things that are costing more and more every time we go to the store. So that's the first risk that Ben Carlson and myself agree that we see in the market. Now, what is the second risk? Well, the second risk is the Fed, and the Fed is the Federal Reserve, Federal Reserve Bank, right? It is the central bank of the United States. Now, in 2018, we had double-digit corrections in the US stock market. On Christmas Eve of that year, we were basically in bear market territory. At the time, no one really knew why the market was falling. There wasn't a good reason, right? After the fact, most people agreed it was the Fed hiking rates, because back then, the Fed was increasing interest rates, which interest rates had been at zero or around zero for a long time after the financial crisis, right? And then, late 2015, early 2016, they start, increasing rates and did so all the way until uh, basically the coronavirus pandemic, right? The Fed raised rates to more than 2%, then abruptly changed course after the market sell-off, right? Mortgage rates also rose to about 5% at the time. So it was a decent little tightening cycle, right? Which we may be about to go through again, which is why we're talking about uh, these risks. Now, I don't know uh, what the line in the sand is for these things anymore, but it's possible that too much tightening from the Fed could derail the stock market again right we can just look to last week right and see that the fed saying in their minutes that they're going to uh, you know consider shrinking the balance sheet meaning uh, letting you know their bond purchases roll off of their balance sheet uh, thus not uh, stimulating the economy as much not being as accommodative actually tightening right uh, then we saw markets kind of go haywire especially growth stocks. Uh, were adversely affected, okay? So these types of things can really have an impact. Uh, And last time around, they didn't have inflation or higher economic growth to contend with, so it's hard to see them reversing course quite as quickly if markets don't uh, like higher rates, right? So in 2018, they could say, oh, well, the market didn't like higher rates. We can kind of back off. We can ease off maybe with our rhetoric or ease off with our actions uh, and not be as tight uh, with the market." But uh, when inflation and high economic growth is happening, right You don't want to let inflation get out of control. You don't want the hyperinflationary scenario. okay uh, So if that continues, then it kind of doesn't matter what the market thinks you have to act right? Uh, or at least one would think you have to act right. Many thought that they would act before they have or before they had thought about acting, but uh, they have not. So uh, many would think that yeah, you would have to act based on inflation or higher economic growth. Um, and not care as much about what the market thinks. And so what does that lead to for us as investors? For us as investors, that leads to moments where, hey, you know, we might be stuck with lower returns because the Fed is going to be in a place where they must get tighter, right? They must increase interest rates. They must do these things to not have just this persistently high inflation over a long period of time. Now, it's important to remember that history doesn't always rhyme, repeat, or retweet Right, uh, but it's not out of the question for the stock market to get a little antsy if the Fed goes on a rate hike spree. Now, currently, at least this is what's being said that you know in 2022 we should expect uh, three to four rate hikes, right? Which typically rate hikes happen on about uh, a quarter of a percent basis, right? Each time that they do a rate hike, so uh, that may be happening. Of course, of course, they're tapering uh, off their bond purchases now, so all of this is leading to tighter. And tighter scenarios, um, and it's unlikely to know what they're going to do if you know COVID is uh, continuing to you know blow through society. Uh, they feel the need to shut things down again, or whatever, right? Uh, and then you have inflation, you have a stagnant labor market, you ha- you have all these things, right? Uh, that the Fed is going to have to balance because what the Fed is supposed to do is to keep stable prices. Uh, and to, you know, work towards maximum employment. Um, And maximum employment is hard to do when not everybody can work or people can't be properly accounted for. Uh, So that's very difficult. And, you know, the uh, unemployment rate currently is, you know, below 4%. So the, the course is kind of being set to get tighter uh, in their policy, but we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what they're going to choose to do. We don't know how quickly they're going to have to move, right? They can really, you know, they can be a little preemptive and people love, investors love when the Fed is preemptive. We want to hear the Fed lay out a course of action and then follow that course of action, right? Uh, we don't want any surprises, especially tightening surprises from the Fed, All right, If anything, we want, uh, you know, these uh, easing surprises where uh, the markets could actually do better. But ultimately, we want the Fed to know what they're talking about and be preemptive in their strikes. But ultimately, how are you going to know what inflation is really going to be? Sometimes it's going to be hard to tell. And I think uh, that inflation has persisted higher and longer than the Fed uh, anticipated it, right? You just listen to how Jerome Powell talked about uh, inflation being transitory and how uh, it's not going to persist in this way, but then it has, right? And they dropped transitory from uh, the the rhetoric that they were uh, putting out in their minutes and in their statements. And so now you're looking like, okay, does the Fed really know what's going on? And I think that's why the market is getting a little antsy while it, why it may be antsy in the future and why if they get tight uh, very, very quick, then the market may have some very swiftly negative, um, you know, reactions that investors like you and I are going to have to feel. So that second thing that we think can, um, you know, provide some negativity in the market this year uh, is the Fed. So inflation and the Fed, right? And they kind of run hand in hand, but uh, they are separate as well, right? Because inflation is occurring external to the Fed. The Fed can only react. Uh, to inflation and act as it sees fit. Now, the third and last risk that I want to talk about is that stocks went up too much. You may say, what, what in the world are you talking about stocks went up too much? And you, you don't know what you're talking about. Stocks? How could stocks go up too much? Right? It's great when stocks go up. Of course, it's great when stocks go up. Right? We have lived through one of the best bull markets of all time and stocks have done nothing basically for the last 12, 13 years Except for go up, right? So what now, right? So why did the stock market crash in 1987? Okay, you may say, okay, 1987, what was that? Okay, Black Monday, right? Uh, In October of 1987. And that's the biggest one-day drop in the stock market of all time. Now, there were all these technical reasons about market structure and portfolio insurance, but most people don't realize that stocks were up around 40% in the first eight months of the year before Black Monday's crash. 40% in eight months is outrageous, right? That is an outrageous increase in stock prices in eight months, right? And that's after the market was already up nearly 150% from 1982 to 1986, does this sound familiar? Of course this sounds familiar. We've come off of this huge bull market. Well, I say we come off, we're still in this huge bull market, right? If you just took out the coronavirus crash, which we don't need to take it out. It was a bear market. It is a bear market just as much as 1987 was and is, right? But if you took that out, right, then we're basically just on this continuous trend line upward uh, in the S&P 500 in stock prices, right? And the past few years, Have been fantastic right the compound returns over the past few years have been fantastic now sometimes the reason stocks fall is simply because they rose too much in a short period of time and investors look for an excuse to lock in some gain because ultimately what are investors trying to do they're trying to buy low and sell high especially in individual stocks investors are trying to buy low sell high well the only way they can do that is if they actually do sell high and if they perceive that the stock market's gotten so high and gotten so overvalued and so um Maybe even frothy or bubbly or whatever, right? Then they may choose to sell. And what does that do? That sends the stock market downward, right? So, a risk that we may be looking at is that stocks have gone up too much. And if stocks have gone up too much, then we we may see, you know, subsequently that stocks drop. Maybe. Now, from April 2020 uh, through the end of 2021, the SP 500 was up 90%. Yeah, you heard that right. 90%. So you could have almost doubled your money. If you were to put your money in the S&P 500 from April of 2020 through the end of this past year, right? That is a massive return in a 21 month period. Uh, And just look where it ranks uh, for the 21 month totals going back to 1950. Uh, The only one that it is shy of uh, is way, way back in the day, way back uh, in the 50s, right? Uh, the only time it was higher was in that 50s bull market. Now, uh, guess what followed this nearly two year boom? Well, there was an 11% correction in the month in the fall of 1955. Then in the summer of 1956, stocks dropped 15%. Less than a year later, the only bear market of the 1950s commenced as stocks fell nearly 21%. Now, what am I saying here? Am I saying that we're going to have corrections? Am I saying that we're going to have a bear market? That's not what I'm saying, right? What I'm saying is, is that Historically, corrections happen, right? Historically, uh, up until recently, we've seen at least one 10% correction a year, right? We haven't seen those as of lately. In 2021, uh, the biggest drawdown in the S&P 500 was just over 5%, which is extremely low given historical standards, right? So all this happened in the 50s after that two-year boom. Now it, it could happen again here, right? And it could happen all because returns have been too high. And how you may ask me how can returns be too high, right? What determines returns? Of course, there's supply and demand. There's uh, the supply of, you know, the shares of stock and then there's the demand for those shares, right? But what is driving the value of the company? Because that's what we're talking about here, right? Stock prices, they show us the value of a company, right? The market value of a company. What drives the value of the company? Well, earnings, cash flow, all of those fundamental things, right? And so uh, Jack Bogle, who, you know, was, you know, head of the Vanguard group uh, and just passed away uh, not long ago, Uh, in his book, the little book on common sense investing, he talks about how stock returns are really only made up of three things, right? They're made up of the earnings yield, meaning how much uh, earnings are going to grow the dividend yield or the payout, right? Whatever uh, the company is going to pay back out to the investor. And this could also be through repurchases now, but repurchases will fall into the earnings yield. So really it's earnings yield, dividend yield, and then what else? Well, speculative return or uh, what we call multiple expansion, right? And multiple expansion means this, right? If you have a price to earnings multiple, right? That has long, you know, histories for a company. And let's say that price to earnings multiple stayed around 15. And then since stock prices go higher and higher and higher and earnings didn't change at all or much, right? And let's say the PE gets to 25. Well, that's just multiple expansion or speculation. That's just buying of the stock, not based on whatever underlying fundamental there is, right? And so if that's true, then we're relegated uh, to this idea that you know, earnings and dividends are going to tell us a lot about our returns, and that what investors choose to do past that is really up to them. And I told you earlier the, no- the long term real rate of return uh, on stocks going back to the 1800s, this is in Jeremy Siegel's Stocks for the Long Run, is like six and a half percent real, right? So uh, nine or 10% uh, annualized uh, on a nominal basis, right? And so the fact that we've made as much as we have in such a short period of time. I mean, in order to average those out, you would need some corrections, right? You would need a bear market. You would need things like this in order to get back to some reasonable basis by which you can value stocks. Now, returns were still excellent uh, throughout the 1950s, but trees didn't grow to the sky and corrections were a natural extension of large gains, right? Uh, So, I'd be more surprised if we don't have a ten to twenty percent correction in the next eighteen months or so than if we do, and I think you should feel the exact same way. I know a lot of and I'm a young investor too, so I'm not saying that you know all you guys out there investing are younger than me, but uh those who are relatively inexperienced investors you haven't seen a whole lot right you haven't seen a whole lot in the way of corrections and bear markets and all these types of things. We live in this buy the dip world sometimes buying the dip is not going to keep the dip from happening and getting deeper. And deeper and deeper right uh, but it may and who knows exactly what's going to happen in the next 18 months two years five years whatever in the short term it's almost impossible to tell over the long term though we can keep investing over the long term we can make great returns now the whole point that i'm trying to make here and the whole point that ben carlson made in this great um, blog post this great article uh, is basically that there are real headwinds right there are w- real things that can materialize. Uh, that can hurt us. Now, there are things that could go perfect, right? Inflation could end up in this Goldilocks place, right? Uh, Not too high, not too low, but just right, right? The Fed could do the perfect thing on inflation and interest rates and tapering and all these types of things and make investors perfectly happy, right? We could not see uh, some huge declines in stock prices, right? We may not see any of these things occur in a negative way but we also may see every single one of them occur. It's like it, there's a likelihood. There I'm not going to say it's a great likelihood or not such a great likelihood, but there's a likelihood that all of these things go anti to the investor's best interest, right? And if that happens, what are you going to do? How do you change? Do you change, right? I would say that these risks aren't enough to change your investment strategy, but they should be enough for you to understand uh, the potential for large drawdowns in stock prices, right? And for the potential of stocks falling uh, because of any one of these potential reasons. Now, none of these is my call for you to go and sell everything that you have. None of these are my call for you to go and buy bonds and get rid of stocks. None of it, right? But what I want you to understand is that if we do see drawdowns, we do see pullbacks, they're not unlike history. It's not unlike history for something like this to happen. The reason that we can see these risks, the reason that these risks make sense is because they have happened before. And so if you can see these things that have happened before and then properly act on the other side and and, and act with a clear mind, because the black swan events are so jarring because you didn't see them coming and you don't know how to react because you've never seen anything quite like it, right? We haven't seen a pandemic in over 100 years, so we don't know what to do with that, right? And back then, markets weren't like they are now, okay? So we don't know what to do with that, right? We didn't know what to do with 9-11, right? We didn't know what to do with those types of things, but we do know what to do when the feds raise rates we do know what to do uh, when they're tightening we know what to do when inflation is higher we know what to do when we've had uh, large gains in the recent past right all these things have happened before so don't be surprised when they happen again right be sober minded make the proper adjustments buy the dips don't get out of your investments don't sell right buy the dips buy more If you need to adjust your individual stock holdings, maybe you do that. Maybe you take some off the table and put some into different sectors and different areas, uh, maybe out of growth or into growth, whatever, right? Whatever you're choosing to do. Uh, But my whole point is this: my whole point is, don't let the risks that are visible, the risks that are in front of you, throw your entire investing life off. Don't let something that financial markets is telling you can happen, right, and has shown you can happen make you, you know, decide that you're just going to sell because, you know, the market's not acting right. No, the market does act and the market acts sometimes swiftly. And sometimes it does not act in your best interest. And sometimes it doesn't act in a logical way, at least in the short term, but over the long term, it's going to act logically. You can invest and expect your money to grow over a long period of time. So put blinders onto the short term, buy dips, understand what's going on around you, but don't let these risks weigh you down, right? Don't let these risks get you to the place uh, where you just don't want to invest anymore and uh, you just can't handle what's going on. Be well informed and it will help you to be a better investor and it will help you uh, to potentially uh, bear the brunt of some negativity. But I, like you, hope that we have some great returns uh, in the years to come and that these risks do not come to bear in the way that they potentially could. So thanks for watching this video. If you could go down below, hit the big red subscribe button, like this video. Leave me any feedback in the comments down below and I'll be sure to respond to anything you leave down there. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify podcasts, be sure to subscribe and leave me a review on either one of those platforms. Follow me on social media at MNO with Dylan. And that's really good supplemental materials to all the things I'm putting out in these long form episodes on YouTube and the podcast every single day. And then if you need somebody to help you to build a financial plan and keep you accountable to that plan over the long term, then I can do that. Just DM me on any of the major social media sites and tell me that you are interested in financial coaching sessions and you and I can begin working together, pushing towards your long-term financial goals and ultimately pushing you on towards long-term financial freedom, which is what I hope for every single individual who's watching or listening to this show on a day-to-day basis. So tune in tomorrow as I continue talking about personal finance topics that I think can be useful for you in your long-term financial journey. So thanks for tuning into this episode of Money's No Object. I'm your host, Dylan Howell. God bless.